officially welcome you here to Restoration Church today, whether you are sitting with us here in person or online. A couple of things that I want to mention to you before we jump into our uh, teaching today, which is sort of indicative of the season we're in, the season of the recognition that God sent himself into the world uh, to redeem the world, and that, that has a serious implication on our lives as, as believers. And so um, we'll get to that here in a moment, but before I do that, I want to share with you a couple of important things that are going on in the life of our body. And so if you have any questions about this stuff here, you can certainly let us know that through connection cards. Uh, you can talk to one of us here after worship. And certainly if you're online, there's a host of ways you can communicate with us. Email, text message, uh, just uh, Facebook Messenger. There's uh, lots of ways to do so. So here's a couple things that I want to share with you here today. Uh, first of all, we are planning on having a Christmas Eve service here on December 24th. That is when Christmas Eve is. <laughs> and uh, that's going to be from 7 p.m. till about 7.45 p.m. This is the first time in a couple of years that we've been able to do that. And we are really uh, hopeful and looking forward to uh, spending some time together that evening. So keep that in mind. Uh, 7 p.m. here at Sweetwater Elementary. We'll spend some time together giving thanks for the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, secondly, I want to mention that we have a, a, a very significant opportunity for service, and that is as we, you know, make decisions about what to begin resuming, like which ministries, like we sort of booted up students again, and um, we've really noticed that there's a need for nursery, and so we already have some folks that are serving in nursery, but we wanted to ask you to consider praying about possibly once a month, if Basically, if you love Jesus and can't make children cry or won't make them cry, you are pre-qualified to be able to serve in this area. Uh, so if you're interested in helping out in the nursery once a month, let us know on that card and certainly you can call us, email us, or whatever else you, uh, you want to do. Uh, I want to say two things, and these are very, very important, okay? So please dial in and don't miss this. Uh, first of all, on the back table, I saw some of you, some of you perusing it as you came in. I want to give you clear information so that you can do more than peruse on the way out. You know, each year as a church, we uh, there's there's a lot of things we do this time of year. Uh, we meet benevolence needs corporately as a church. A uh, ton of you do things that nobody even knows about. You're sharing the goodness of Jesus through your words and your deeds and your actions. We're super thankful for that. Um, this year, uh, we you know, around this this time this year, we usually do some sort of a, an angel tree with a local school or business to support the needs of uh, children. This year, we opted to do something a little different, different but in a good way. So most of you know, uh, we have a, a partnership with a children's home in Roatan, which is right across, basically off the coast of Honduras. And this is a, a home that helps at-risk children stay uh, stay safe. Basically, they provide them a stable, uh, healthy living environment. And we have sent a mission team there before as a church. We obviously could not send one there this year because of all of the challenges of traveling. But um, one of the realities of that part of Central America is that there were two very serious hurricanes that hit it, and there's a lot of need and suffering there right now. And so uh, this year, we thought it would be really good to uh, sponsor a child in that home. And let me explain what I mean by that. There are currently 24 children that are in uh, the Sandy Bay Lighthouse Ministry home. On that back table, you'll see bookmarks with their names and information about them. But what, what the home has asked us is if we could basically provide 24 grocery bags for that. A bag of groceries costs approximately $25. And what they want to do is take that food 
uh, and distribute it to their community, for the folks who are, believe it or not, you know, there is there is hunger going on in our world right now. People who, who don't know uh, where the next meal is coming from. And so this is a very uh, profound way for us to uh, to help this wonderful ministry that takes place in uh, in Roican. So the data is back there on the table. Essentially, if you would like to make the contribution for a bag of groceries or multiple bags, we're going to do it here as a family. Uh, it's twenty-five dollars a bag, and what we're trying to do is uh, once once those funds are collected, we will send them. Um, those monies, obviously, they'll buy the groceries there. It's less, much cheaper to do that that way than it is to mail groceries um, across the ocean. But that's a wonderful way for us to remember that there is great need and suffering uh, in the world right now, and we as a people have a, a really good opportunity to uh, to meet that need. So that information there is on the back table. Uh, Rob, who just shared some admin information with you, some truths about the morning, will be there to uh, sort of supervise on the way out, and I'm really optimistic that we'll be able to meet that need. So keep that in mind as you exit. Last thing I want to say, I'll be brief, but please don't mistake my brevity for the significance of this, is that uh, placed on your seats, and there's a stack of them on the table, is the uh, year-end report, which I write to you every year. My apologies, it's a week late. Uh, we had, uh, I'll spare you the details, but there were some systemic issues with our, um, one of our banking companies uh, that got us reports late, so they came out a week late. But nonetheless, uh, this letter, usually I write you a two-page letter, but this letter is three pages. It's a little longer than normal, and I hope uh, all of the events of the year, uh, because of them, you'll show me a little mercy and grant me four more paragraphs to you, because uh, it's been a crazy, crazy year. So nonetheless, those are your seats. They will be out, as is our custom, to the first week of January. And as is my custom, I'm going to ask you all to not read them right now, because uh, you'll miss where we're going this morning. You'll have a whole month to read that stuff. So try to try to not, you know, sneak peek. You would just maybe look up here. I really want to talk about mission. That's a very important uh, letter because it talks about where we've been, where we're going, and just some of the unique challenges we have faced this year as a church, and some of the wonderful opportunities we have looking at the upcoming year as we consider uh, Restoration's role in this, this community. So, with that said, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and that is we are, we're trying to take the, in, the incarnation of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, which is what we celebrate here this month, the, the fact that God sent his son into the world, an infant in a manger, who eventually would offer forgiveness to the world, forgiveness of sin, uh, if we would look to Jesus and really recognize his love and his care for us, like Abe just said multiple times, Jesus, he takes that from us. He takes that, that consequence of sin and provides us this incredible, uh, eternal relationship with God our Father in heaven. That relationship begins here on earth and, and certainly spans into uh, the eons of eternity. And there's something very rich about, uh, I always think, you know, some, someone, because that's what we believe, Jesus was a real person. Someone that small, if you think about it, that, that little instance in the manger actually became a cosmic move, uh, uh, movement of redemption. And that's a beautiful truth. So we want to spend the month sort of discussing that a little bit. And we've tied this into that passage I began chatting with you about a couple of months ago from Acts 2. Under the premise of the last verse in that text, where we learn, because of what the, the early church was doing, because of the way the, the Christians were carrying themselves, the way they were worshiping God the way they were loving each other and serving their neighbor, that God began to add to their number. It's an interesting, it's an interesting passage, I'll read it here in a moment, but what is essentially happening is people, at a time when the name of Jesus is not very well known, this is almost 2,000 years ago, they are seeing 
the beauty of something they don't yet fully understand. And as they come in contact with this new family of God called the early church, they begin to see some really wonderful things about it. And because of that, they give their lives to Christ, and they, they began to create the church as we know it today, as it, as it grows across the world. And so I want to read to you Acts 2, 42 through 46 again, just so that it's sort of framed. And then we'll jump right back into this idea of the mission of God. We talked last week a good bit about mission, and we'll continue to do so. But today we're going to talk less about the, the theology of mission and a little bit more about the practical application of it in our lives. So first, Acts 2, 42 through 46. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we've looked at each one of those uh, elements of the early church in detail. Those uh, teachings can be found online if you want to backtrack and follow up with them. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And it is because of this the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So we see that they have a, a central teaching, an authority of the apostles' teaching, meaning they're, they're referring to the truths of Jesus, what we would today call the entirety of the Word of God, Scripture. They're in fellowship with each other. They are taking communion together. They are eating in each other's homes. They are gathering together on a regular basis. They are meeting each other's needs when they see them pop up. There's some amazing things happening here. And the, the natural result of all this, according to Acts 2, Luke tells us, is that a lot of people start to find Jesus through the words and the deeds of God's people. And this is what we would call the early, at least in the New Testament, sort of the early framework for what we call the mission of God. And last week we had a very robust conversation about this. I want to revisit one thing we said, just sort of the framework of it, and then we'll jump into the, the actual uh, truth I want to talk about today. We, we opened last week by discussing if somebody walked in this room out of the blue and asked, what, what is the mission of God? Like When we talk about the role of what a Christian is in the world, what we should be doing, how we should be carrying ourselves, like what are our priorities, especially when we look at them in light of, of Christmas, what is the mission of God according to the Bible? And that's a very key question. I didn't just ask, what is the mission of God? We discussed, what is the mission of God according to the Bible? And it's important that we caveat that, because uh, there's been no shortage in our history of, of missions that have taken place in the name of the church that might not necessarily be in alignment, and at times might be fully sort of like an antithesis to what the Bible teaches. And so we looked at a definition, summation of our, our conversation, came from a very well-known missiologist, someone who's had some great influence on my life, named Van Sanders. And I'll read to you where we ended last week, and this is where we will pick up today. The mission of God, when kept in the context of the scriptures, are important that that is there. Otherwise, we can, we can have a lot of mission without Jesus, and that's a bit of a problem, especially since we celebrate the, the centrality of his arrival during Christmas and his resurrection during Easter. The mission of God, when kept in the context of the scriptures, the mission of God emphasizes that God is the initiator of his mission to redeem through the church a special people for himself from all of the peoples of the world. He sent his son for this purpose, and he sends the church into the world with the message of the gospel for the same purpose. And that comes from a gentleman named uh, Van Sanders, who is uh, both a missionary and a, a, a missiologist professor at Truett McConnell University. And so we've talked about how in both the Old and the New Testament, what the, what the common theme is, is God reveals himself to a particular group of people.
people. You see Israel in the Old Testament. Their responsibility is to be a blessing to the nations. In other words, they to carry the goodness of God to their world. We've discussed uh, the book of Jonah and Nineveh, how there are clear examples of God's people not only being blessed by God, but they're commanded to be a blessing to the nations. And here in the New Testament, the church, we are commanded to do the very same thing. It's, it's, it's like the same exact mission, just with two, two different sides of the fence. Okay? So as a New Testament church, we're called to do the very same thing God's people in the Old Testament were called to do. And that is to, to make known the name of Jesus, to let people know that we we don't just celebrate Christmas for you know the beauty and nostalgia of the season, which is great, but we actually celebrate Christmas because this is another example of God inserting himself into the world, pursuing us, and offering us his grace and forgiveness so that we can live in uh, grace and peace with him for all of eternity. And so, with that said, I begin today, at least this section, with the first and really only question I want to ask you. You are talking a lot, so I recognize we, we will, uh, we're going to dig into this one pretty deeply. Last week, we, we defined and discussed what mission is, according to the scriptures. I'd like to ask you today, similar to what I said last week, if somebody were to walk into this room, or maybe based on your experience as a Christian, um, what would you say a missionary is? And there's a direct connection. If there is such a thing as mission, then that means a missionary is a person who carries out that mission. And so for the remainder of this year, probably a couple of weeks in January, we're going to have a little bit of dialogue here. And this is where it begins today. What would you say, or how would you define what a missionary is? Okay, excellent point. And one that we're going to unpack here in a moment. Uh, in case you missed it over here or online, what was just said was that a, a missionary cannot just be limited to somebody who, I'll use the word vocationally speaking, meaning they, they pick up their lives and they move to another country or another region of the world that is without question mission work. But, uh, but missionaries, uh, if you look at the definition in Scripture, which we're going to get to here in a moment, the idea that we're ambassadors of Jesus, we want to sort of look at that term a little more broadly. A missionary is, generally speaking, somebody who carries the message of Jesus to the world. And so while we certainly should acknowledge and support and be behind uh, men and women who give their lives to go overseas, I've, I've been overseas four times. They were life-changing experiences for me. Um, they really solidified my my desire to engage and you know, commit my life to God's mission. Very important. But the challenge with that is if we only see a missionary like that, then it pretty much means unless you get on a plane and go somewhere, you are not. There's really no role for you in the kingdom. And that's something that I want to unpack as we move a little, little bit more into what we're discussing today. So, missionary, what else? Can be an overseas person, uh, but not limited to not limited to that. How else would you, you define a missionary? What do they do? What are they supposed to be doing? I look at a missionary as having a few more tools than somebody that's just giving testimony. I don't mean to diminish giving testimony, but it seems like a missionary has more, more depth in the scripture and maybe can sing like Rob. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, I'll, I'll repeat that again just for the folks online. And this is this is also an important statement because it marries directly to what we talked about last week. Um, what John said is that a missionary is a person who who has like an additional skill or tool set, that maybe even a gifting, we might say. And that gifting largely revolves around the ability to, you know, the, the word we use in scripture is evangelize. That comes from the Greek word evangelion, which simply means good news. This is how we get the, the concept of the gospel. But a, a missionary without question, especially one that has been that has been set apart, like what I would say is that the office of the gifting, they are they are supernaturally wired for this. And the interesting part about this is last week we talked about evangelism in the same way. That is a difference between you know the general command we have to share our faith, and then what Paul says in Ephesians, how for some people evangelism is an actual spiritual gift. It's like much like the other spiritual gifts. God gives certain people uh, like a, a very natural ability, uh, a skill, if you will, that does need to be developed at home to uh, to evangelize. And so the, the idea of missionary, I would say, is the same thing. We we should ask the question: uh, Has the has the Western Church actually done done the missionary world a service if we've equipped folks going overseas with these special tools, but not necessarily the people that sit in our pews or seats or, in this case, school benches each week. Missionary, I think, has the same connotation as evangelism. There are those who will be sort of maybe lifted out of the world and sent across and trained specifically. But then there's also this idea of, of how we as Christians engage in the mission of God if we have not been vocationally or, or gifted in the sense like capital G gift to do that. Uh, and that's really where we're at. we'll end this morning. So excellent point that there are some skills and abilities that are required to be able to engage people. Like one of them would truly be, as we mentioned, um, knowing the truth of the word. Like we, we, we would want to proclaim Jesus, right? So that, that requires us to have a working, and I would say we're going to represent Jesus through word and deed. We want to have much more than just a working knowledge of the Bible. We want to actually know what the Bible says in very key areas so that we can give an account, as Paul says, for our faith when, when we are asked about it. So, excellent, excellent point. One more, uh, one more idea about a missionary. What do we think missionary is, does, where they go? Besides words, it's also action. Okay. So, it's both word and action. I like to use the terms word and deed. And I agree, there, uh, there actually is two sort of two sides to the coin of of how we serve people in the name of Jesus. And at some point, what I would say is a balanced life in Christ is going to represent both. Meaning, you might be a person who's more naturally wired for, for deeds, to do good things for people. And you do that because of your love for Christ. But there is going to come a time when you might be asked, like, for example, why are you so generous? Or why do you care about people like this? That is important. It's an important question. And that is where... Our, our deeds, sort of like what happened in Acts 2 is the way the Christians are carrying themselves caused a lot of people to inquire about that situation. And although it's not given to us verbally, we do know as we look at the rest of the, the gospel spreading in the New Testament, and certainly the book of Acts, which sort of chronicles that, is that there was the ability to explain verbally why what these people were doing physically. Like, why, why are we sacrificing our own needs for the sake of, of others? The same is true uh, with, with word, and I simply mean by this, some of us might be more inclined to 
to really be able to verbalize these ideas, but our teeth at some point really do need to match up with our verbiage. So, you know, I can teach on generosity, I can teach on being a sacrificial living all day long. These are tenets connected directly to the cross, what Jesus does for us. But at some point, there should be deeds in my life that align with that. And so you're, you are spot on that words and deeds, we, we cannot separate these. It might, it might do us good to discern which, which way to lead with at some point, at some points in life, but never separate them. I heard a quote, I don't even remember who said it, so pardon me because this is just off the cuff, but somebody said something to the effect of, you know, pre preach the gospel and use words if necessary. And that is like true, but also not true. And what they were highlighting there was like, your, your life should reflect the nature of Jesus, absolutely. But if somebody asks you why your life reflects the nature of Jesus, you have to be, or really we want to be equipped to answer that, uh, that question. And that goes back to what you were saying. That requires us to, to be in communities that teach the scripture and help us to understand what the Bible says about this. Because at some point, deeds are going to lead to words, and at some point, words will likely lead to deeds. But they are inseparable regarding uh, what a missionary does. Let me read this to you. This is another person who has influenced me deeply. His name is Christopher Wright, and he is uh, not connected at all to N.T. Wright. He's another famous sort of theologian in the world today, but here's how he describes a uh, missionary. He is both a missionary, actually a pastor, and what he's done to unique ministry is he's he's gone abroad teaching, like training local peoples in, in what we're talking about right now. So it's like the best of all worlds where you have a missionary who's essentially going overseas and, and helping to develop missionaries. And he writes this. He wrote a great book called The Mission of God, well worth reading if you want to put something on your Christmas list to read in front of the fireplace while it's 107 degrees out Christmas day. But excellent, excellent book that chronicles the mission of God from Old Testament to New Testament. And he says this, a missionary is a person who engages in the mission of God, which we discussed last week and summarized today. And for the sake of our context here, we'll just say offering up Christ's forgiveness to the world. Missionary usually refers to a professional missionary. This is what was brought up earlier. Ministering in a cross-cultural context that has been sent. And so the general idea, when we say missionary in the modern world, um, most people are going to hear this word, and they're going to think about the officialized, sort of hyper-gifted, uh, raised support, went overseas, and served God. That is the sort of the default understanding that a lot of people have of a missionary. And don't hear me undermining that at all. That is a significant thing. But it creates a problem. And I'll share with you a story, and then ask you a question. If you've been with us any amount of time, I have shared this story with you. It's what happened when I actually felt like God was, was beginning to lead our family to start a church. I'll never forget sitting in the atrium of my seminary and talking, you know, after, after classes and before classes, I, I really had a good group of friends. I'm actually still in touch with them today. I'm very thankful for that. And so we have, like, two, two classes. We'd have, like, the official 15 or 18 hours of workload we were taking for the semester. And then we'd have like all the stuff we were talking about after the classes ended that we were just, you know, drinking and talking together, discussing life and our churches and what was going on. And so uh, never forget one day uh, in between classes, about five of us were sitting on sort of like a couch type area. And we were talking about where we thought God was going to lead us. Just about every person at that point was 
in school and serving a church at the same time as was I. And I remember telling them, especially having been overseas several times, that I, I had this, it really was a bit of a, a crazy notion at the time, that I had felt like God was calling me to America. Now, this language is not common in, in the traditional missionary context. You don't get called to America, you get called to some other country. And thankfully, I had had plenty of experience at that point in other countries to know the distinction. But I kind of felt like God had wired my mind and my heart for this place that we live in. Um, and I'll never forget when I told my friends this, they just chuckled. And the, it was a really funny joke. I left, but one of them said, yeah, that's what every missionary says that doesn't want to give up their cable. Right. Yeah, it was like, sure, you could be called to America because you could be a missionary and, you know, not have to Sort of like we sub it out to other people, but we forget that um, all of the redeemed have a responsibility. 
not only to grow in the grace of Jesus, but to help others understand. Great, uh, great, great statement. What else? Benefits and detriments of traditionally defined missionary way. There's going to be more of a benefit, but a lot of times when you're trained, you're trained to go overseas, trained in the culture, the language, you know, the ins and outs, whereas we grew up here. We, we are, we forget that we, we are already trained. You know, we already know our cultural norms, our cultural verbiage, and we can connect on a, a better level without having that, you know, having to translate what we want to say in our head or having to, you know, consider cultures that are different from ours. I see that that's a good benefit that we already have. Okay, that's an excellent point. And uh, uh, what Brooke just said is that one of the benefits of understanding the missionary lifestyle like this is that when you talk about cross-cultural in our country, although I think we can make a strong case for the fact that you know we, we there are there's a multitude of cultures that exist in our in our country, but for example, for the, for the most part, we all speak the same uh, language. We live in a similar community, and so there are some natural barriers that are already removed from from the mission by recognizing that we actually have one here in the home front. And what's ironic about this is that any person who's done any mission work, whether that's in domestic church planting, which is absolutely missionary work, or overseas work, the, the ultimate goal of mission is to eventually, if it is a cross-cultural context, it is to raise up what we like to say are indigenous believers. And what that means is wherever you are in the world, like I have uh, friends that are missionaries in Spain, in Italy, in northern India, in a lot of the world, ironically, uh, there's lots of friends that I have, and their goal is to is to meet needs and share Jesus and raise up local leaders so that essentially the people they're ministering to begin to build the church. And if you think about it, that's sort of what we're attempting to do here. We we are trying to equip, raise up people to uh, to start not just new works, but on the grand scale, i.e. churches. But new, new works in a person's heart as they find Jesus. And so, yeah, there are actually is a benefit if we begin to marry or integrate these ideas. Then what happens is we, we sort of get to the place where we have to ask the question, are we, by default, if we're in Jesus, are we missionaries? And if that is the, the question, uh, what, is the, what is the answer? What does that mean? How does that potentially change maybe the way we've understood life and faith to this point. One more, one more thing about benefit and detriment. Or, or detriment. Yeah. Um, I see it as a detriment. If, you, if there's a classic missionary mode, well, that lets me off the hook. Because I don't fit that mode. Going back to the very first comment made, we're all missionaries. That's a more inclusive universal. And it doesn't let me off the hook at all. There may be of uh, missionary, that is to say, what's that old song about? No, no, we are Christians by our love, yeah. by our demonstration, by how we live. I think that impacts a lot of people. And then there's more uh, overt missionaries, those, those who are brought or here or not conventionally defined as a missionary, but any of us who are speaking to that neighbor, speaking to the neighbor who lost a spouse last week, which is my neighbor, uh, you know, that's, that doesn't let me off the hook. That brings inclusion to we're all missionaries. Okay, so this is a great point. And 
segue into where we're going. And that is that you gave you give a very clear example of the, the detriment of a mindset like this could be that we sort of farm out mission to other people. But you share a story of something that happened in your neighborhood, the loss of a loved one, um, that I'm going to take a guess and say, did any of you know about that issue that Bob was dealing with? Any of you? No. And it's, uh, well, okay, so one, one. But the, the point I'm making here is, here's a, here's a man who's living in a community and has a very unique platform with somebody that none of us have just because we're not in that community. And the beauty of this is, in the cases of, of, of life where we see folks whom we love die, uh, we, we teach a faith and believe in a faith of eternal life, right? So there's an opportunity everywhere. And I think, like I said last week, a little intentionality tends to go a long way when it comes to understanding even something like mission. And so I, I think it's important that we we don't neglect the idea of the cross-cultural context. That's actually very important. But what I think can happen very easily is we forget the fact that we are already in an existing context. We have natural relationships that us in our lives. And it is within those spheres of influence that we really can, I like to say, light up the darkness. Wherever our feet go, if you think of it, wherever our feet go, they're like flashlights lighting up the darkness of the world because of, of, uh, of Jesus and what he has done for us and what he wants to do with the world. So simply put here, the benefits of this are we do want to make sure that we're, we're, we're not myopic in any way when it comes to mission, meeting people's uh, physical, spiritual, and emotional needs to word and deed. In fact, for example, with the, the Rotan ministry here, people are hungry. It's actually important um, that we feed them. But it's also equally important that there's a wonderful group of people there who feed them in the name of Jesus. That's a perfect example of how we can actually support something that is thousands of miles away from us, but really accomplishes the same objective. We're, we're essentially pouring into our brothers and sisters in Jesus in a different mission field. But that is, it's also equally important to recognize we have our own mission field. So the benefit is the work of God is, is unlimited. It can go anywhere. The detriment is that we can sometimes benevolently forget that the work of God also exists in our own lives with your friends and your peers. And that's a very, very important truth. One that is corroborated in the Bible, and I want to read this to you from 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, so you don't think I'm just making this up. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. This is one of a multitude of verses that communicates this same idea of the responsibility that somebody in Christ has to, to not just put an end, a period at the end of their life, but to put a comma there and share the gospel through word and deed when opportunities present themselves. Paul says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Right there, he's talking about the conversion experience. He's saying, listen, folks, you now see Jesus in a different way. And because of that, there's a substantial responsibility you have. He goes on to say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself. This is the part that we really, you know, dial in on during Easter. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and here's the key point, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so I'm going to read a couple of verses here in a second, but what Paul is saying here is, the old is gone, the new is come. You are a new person in Jesus. You're a new person in Jesus because God reconciled me and you to him. And one of the natural, uh, 
using obligation in the very healthy sense. The immediate responsibility that is bestowed upon those who have been reconciled to God is that they are now given the ministry of reconciliation. And reconciliation here, this is referring to like the ultimate reconciliation. Uh, I'm not saying Christians shouldn't be committed to peacemaking, but I'm saying this type of re reconciliation is salvific in nature. It's talking about the fact that Jesus has reconciled us to God, and that message needs to be carried to the world. And he gave us, he's speaking to the Corinthian church, who believes the Bible is applicable to us today. What this means is we're part of that us. This ministry continues until Jesus returns. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he goes on to say that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. It's, it's, this is actually amazing because Abe and I did not coordinate on this at all. Um, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And that's the word I want to focus on. As though God were making his appeal through us. That statement right there is like a mind bender for me. We are ambassadors of the message of reconciliation as if God was, was basically sending his message through us. What he's saying is like in the same way Jesus, I'm not encouraging you to become like a demigod or a deity here, but in the same way that Jesus was the representation, the fullness of God in man and humanity who brought the message of reconciliation to the world, in his absence while the Spirit lives in us, that is our role. One of our key responsibilities is that God appeals to the world this message of, of truth and grace through us. He, it's as if God is making his appeal through us now. And then he goes on to say, we implore you on Christ's behalf, first to be reconciled to God. In other words, look to Jesus. And then he goes on to say, because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that truly is... That is a profound teaching. Because I, I, I say this a lot. I am convinced that God could have left Jesus on the earth and accomplished his mission more efficiently without us. Right? But for some reason, and I say this with a lot of nobility, it was God's plan that Jesus ascend into heaven and his Holy Spirit go to those who are in him so that we could carry on and perpetuate that ministry. That's what he's talking about here. And so while God is perfect and only says and does and doesn't make mistakes, he has gifted us with the ministry of reconciliation. And there's something beautiful about that truth, that even in the fact that some of us might be thinking, well, I'm not trained enough, I don't know enough, I, you know, I'm afraid to talk to people. Maybe some of you are like, I can, like, I can run a light bulb to Jesus one time, I can talk to anybody about faith in any area of life. No matter where we're coming from, what a teaching like this teaches us is that we each equally have a role in our own way. In, in the mission of God, whether that means God's going to send us overseas or, you know, create a light in a lunchroom at your workplace or on your school campus, wherever, wherever you go, if you are reconciled to Jesus, the, the ministry of reconciliation has been given to you. Amen. And my, my last question for you today is this, if, if this is true, and I'm arguing for the fact that it is because I believe the Bible is true, if those who are reconciled to God have been given the ministry of reconciliation. What what are some examples of the ministry of reconciliation? What what does that that look like in our lives? And, and there's really I, I don't want there's like really no wrong answer here because the, the ministry of reconciliation can be particularly contextualized to the world that you live in. And in some ways, um, what we have learned overseas, some of those truths we've imported back 
connect with them before we just presuppose a bunch of thoughts and ideas and Bible verses that are very true, but maybe might not be the most significant place where we start the conversation about the gospel with a person. So what does a life that is carrying out the ministry of reconciliation look like? There are some examples of that. This is how we'll wrap up. I think so. I think so. That's like my favorite passage in the whole Bible, probably. I mean, it's it's like the it's like almost like the thesis, you know. But okay, so ministry of reconciliation. So nobody <coughs> ever wants to really give anybody a soapbox because we have enough soapboxes. If you want to hear like a certain political soapbox, then you turn on one political station, a different political soapbox, you turn on another. So you have time with people um, to share your faith and saying you have to 
said he was saying, you know, God made you so they could see him and be reconciled to himself. Yeah, and that's a great example of where you start the conversation. So, uh, for example, laying Christian obedience at the feet of a person who's not a Christian is sort of like a car before a horse. However, when you, when you, when you leave and listen to Paul in other places in the New Testament where he says, like, he's talking about all these things that are being communicated, he says, but we, you know, we preach Christ and Christ crucified. He keeps coming back to the centrality of this idea. And this really piggybacks with what we said last week. We have to understand what the mission is if we're going to practically understand what a, uh, what a missionary does. And the specific example, if you didn't catch this online, I'll paraphrase here, but we talked last week about some of the challenges of what I like to call transactional uh, transactional missions, simply meaning uh, we don't recognize that for some people, Paul says this too, some plant seeds, some water, some reap the harvest. And wisdom and discernment helps us to understand where we are in that process. Because it probably would be one of the worst things we could do in the moment where somebody was grieving deeply over the loss of a loved one, is to sort of like think that we have 38 seconds to communicate the message of Jesus or it's all over. Our, our understanding of where a person is, our knowledge of the scripture, and dare I say, our intuition with the power of God's Holy Spirit to know which of his words are most important in that moment, really do create a healthy, sort of a fertile soil for good mission, for, for how we make the appeal of who Jesus is to the people that are uh, in front of us. So yeah, very, very important. Um, that's a great example of the Ministry of Reconciliation. It might, it might all be aiming towards the same goal. Like what we want is for men and women to know Jesus and to be forgiven their sins and to be freed of that burden. But the way we get there might look different depending on your wiring and the people in your life. And so there is a singular mission, we might say, that can have a lot of diversity in it because of uniquely who you are and, and, and what you do in the circle of influence you're in. One other one before we end. Uh, a good example of... Um, of sort of what the ministry of reconciliation looks like in, in the life of somebody. That's an amazing story of uh, in Jerusalem observing a group of Japanese believers singing to God. And that that is, like, that's the glimpse of what heaven's going to be like, right? Every tribe and every tongue. And we're all looking to love by and loving the same, uh, the same Savior. And that, to me, is a very motivational way to end today. That that, that is just, a, there is beauty in the fact that we, we do love Jesus. And there is beauty in Jesus himself that he does. Like if you think about just this brief statement that, that he reconciled us to God, you know, that, that word, reconciled, it, it's the summation of the suffering and the pain that Jesus endured for us to be able to be reconciled to God. And so 
I like to say, Jesus is too good to keep to ourselves. And uh, there's something really meaningful about understanding the value and the prescribed worth God shows us because of what Jesus did for us. But there's a next step there when we recognize that that value and that worth is meant to be shown to other people. We do really bring, you know, we use these words hope and joy and peace. These are certainly biblical words, but they they have like a Isaiah 9, 6, like power drive around Christmas time. These words are not just words or or merely merely emotions. They certainly can be emotions, but but they're much deeper than that. They're sort of unassailable spiritual emotions that allow us to say, in a crazy world right now, we can have hope. Why? Because Jesus transcends every circumstance in life. He's like the Coast Guard cutter that takes the wave without incident. Why can we have joy right now in our lives? Maybe you're dealing with something very difficult. Well, because one of the great things Jesus promises us is his joy. And his joy is not dependent on our life circumstances. His joy is dependent on our recognition of who he is and what he has done for us and his love for us. And that doesn't change. And so when you look at these words, they, they, they might be trite in the way we communicate them at times, but they are rudders that define life. And all I want to say, uh, we, we'll spend one more week talking about this from a different angle next week, particularly with missional living, meaning we've discussed mission, we've discussed the missionary. Next week we're going to talk, we're going to talk in detail about now what do you do for the rest of your days? Like where, where do you pick up the mantle of missionary? Since I believe every single one of us is one. If we are in Jesus, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. It would, it would do us well this week to sort of meditate on, like even while we do that, this is a reminder of these beautiful and powerful truths that, uh, that Jesus has given us and, and died for. And so uh, thank you for an incredibly meaningful conversation today. This was very enjoyable for me. I'm hearing different points of view and even getting to hear some of your, some of your natural spheres of influence. And so remember, as you leave this week, you, you do have a natural sphere of influence. You have people in your life that are in your life for a reason. And I would Amen. encourage you to recognize that, um, that God has a purpose for you in that. And so if you would pray with me. Father Evan, thank you for this, uh, this time we've had today in worship and teaching as we move to this brief time of uh, response. I really do pray you'd solidify in our hearts um, who you are and what you've done for us and that that truly would be a motivation for us to, if we're in this room right now and we don't feel valued, that we would really feel valued because of of the love you've shown us and the fact that you took the, the sins of our lives on your shoulders when you went to the cross for us. You not only offered us the ministry of reconciliation, but you provided the way to be reconciled. And I do pray that our, our deep understanding of that in our own hearts would truly compel us to, to want that message to be proclaimed through word and deed in the circles of influence you sent us. So in these remaining moments we have of solitude and silence and quiet, uh, before we move back into a very busy world, I pray that you would just sear our minds and that you would help uh, the affections of our hearts, God, to be turned to you so that we would know how to not only know who you are, but to help others know who you are in deep and meaningful ways. We pray all of this in Jesus. Amen. Listen, for these next moments, um, just spend some time with Jesus. And if you have uh, questions about what we've discussed today, uh, information that you want to know about our church, any, anything, use that connection card to let us know that. We take those very seriously and we follow up uh, very quickly on them. If you're online and you're going through something, you have needs, or you know somebody who has needs, the offer is the same for you. Please don't, don't end this time alone. Recognize that you are with a God who has promised to never forsake you, and he's put you in a community of people um, that have made that same commitment to you.
take this time, especially if you are a, a gospel partner, to think about your role in restoration, some of the service opportunities I mentioned earlier. This is also the time where we receive our tithes and our offerings, our gifts. If you're a partner, we've made a commitment to each other to support the mission and the ministry of restoration here. If you're visiting, we simply ask that you do as the Lord leads. You can place those cards and those gifts in these towers as we exit after this time of reflection and the benediction. Now, if you would turn the attention of your heart to the Lord. Jesus would define your every thought, your every step. 